everyone. Thank you for joining us again for another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlisle, along with Rachel Santizo. And Rachel, you're naked today. I am. Unfortunately, well, I am. I mean, I have a dress on, but basically naked. Normally, Rachel has a t-shirt with a message, but she's run out of t-shirts, so you do have a lanyard there. What is that? Yeah, sadly, I have run out of t-shirts, but I do have an elephant lanyard. And elephants are very magical creatures, so I do have that today. Okay, well, that's that's better than nothing, and I guess better than being naked or not. Right. <laughs> yeah. If if you have a T-shirt with a message you'd like Rachel to wear on this podcast, if you just send it uh, to Odyssey House or drop it off, and we're at three forty four East one hundred South in downtown Salt Lake City, so please stop by. You know, Rachel, I came across a rather shocking uh, uh, investigation by NPR. Uh, and it was, it's a study of 613 uh, for-profit addiction treatment programs. And if you're watching this, you have to understand there are nonprofits and there are for-profits. And uh, Odyssey House happens to be a nonprofit. And you should always check when you're, when you're thinking about uh, any kind of treatment. And they said that many of them charge inflated fees. This is for-profit addiction treatment programs. And they use misleading sales uh, practices to attract patients. Uh, the researchers at Yale University studied 613 for-profit programs nationally, posing as uninsured cash paying individuals using heroin and seeking addiction treatment and they found people who answered phones at for-profit programs typically were salespeople who did not ask any medical questions, and one-third of the callers were offered admissions before any kind of clinical evaluation, usually within one day. Um, and it said, oh, the other part of the study said that uh, they required upfront payments with for-profit programs charging more than twice as much at $17,000 upfront uh, compared to nonprofits charging 5,000 and that's for cash paying people. Oh, that is heartbreaking. Ultimately yeah. completely heartbreaking. 17,000 just to get help. And and not even knowing if 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 the program will help you because it's because you called up saying I've got cash. I'm not I'm not even using any kind of insurance. And of course, for-profits, most of them won't take Medicaid without some kind of substantial cash payment as well. Whereas nonprofits who accept Medicaid will bring you directly in with no kind of cash payment. So it'd be interesting to see how long they stayed. Yeah, it would be. It would be. And and, and I'm not, you know, we, we have a lot of for-profit treatment center friends here in here in Utah, and I'm not knocking you specifically, but I but I do think that this is a problem nationwide and you should really be careful when you're looking at a, at a, a treatment program, especially if it's a for-profit and compare that with a non, uh, a non-profit, uh, you know, and, and just think about it first. So anyway. right. if they're not asking questions about yeah. your addiction or your medical history, then absolutely that's a red flag. And the other thing you'll find if you look at web pages, the for-profits, will always show you these grand and glorious facilities that you'll be staying in uh, and don't talk too much about the treatment programs and the, the nonprofits because 
they don't they, they don't make profits like that uh, probably their facilities aren't as posh right so sure. anyway enough pontificating who do you have as guest today oh i'm so honored and excited so today randall um we have my friend Sean. So I know Sean very well, and I know him from Fit to Recover. So I, I've worked out with him quite often. Um, and it's such an honor because today he's also brought his mother, Stacy. So I don't know Stacy as well, but what is so exciting and so honorable about this is that we get to hear a perspective from a mother and her son um about the the battle of addiction and the struggle from both of their points of view so without further ado sean and stacy come on in guys hi hi oh and sean makes the best hot sauce too i just gotta give a plug for his hot sauce i agree <laughs> this is uh this is a first that we've had uh, uh, a person in recovery and the person's mother. So this would be an interesting perspective. Maybe Sean, you could start out with a little bit about your story and then yeah. we, can, we can get your mom to tell her version of the story, which might be different. <laughs> yeah, of course, uh, you guys can hear me all right, all right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, well, I'm Sean, uh, originally from Vermont. It's where my mom still resides. Um, grew up there. Well, originally born in actually Alabama, but um, what when we moved to Vermont, like I was two or three years old. So I just called Vermont is where I'm from. Um, and uh, yeah, loved it there. Had a great childhood. Uh, tons of friends. Went to college there. Um, big into skateboarding. I think that's kind of where maybe the partying started. And then uh, once I hit college, you know, it was a typical college experience. Um, when I say typical, I mean the parties and whatnot. <laughs> but that's probably where, um, you know, a lot of my uh, alcohol addiction came to be was just college life and then I guess after graduation the party didn't really stop um but uh, I stuck around in Vermont um till 2018 and that's when I decided I would follow a dream of mine to uh, move out to California um I've always wanted to live in California for the skateboarding, the sunny weather, kind of that that skateboard life that I wanted. Uh, I had a bunch of friends that had done that and were living in the LA area. So I decided on Los Angeles and kind of just uh, made the decision to pack up and go. And Part of that decision also is my my drinking and um, partying was getting a little out of hand as I was reaching my 30s and kind of thought a new change in scenery, living situation, everything that, you know, kind of the classic, I guess, run away from your problems <laughs> kind of thing, which doesn't really work, but um at the same time, I wanted to, you know, get to California and, and 
try it out. And my, um, my father, he moved out here to Utah in 2005. So he was here. And so the plan was to kind of drive across country and then stop here in Utah. And uh, it was around Thanksgiving. Um, it was the end of October when I moved. So I figured I'd stay here in Utah with him through the holiday and then kind of like just keep going to LA, not even unpack the car, just kind of, you know, stick around for a week or two. And the, I guess the start of uh, my kind of journey through recovery was I um, had a bad day. I uh, just hit the bottle during the day really hard at my dad and stepmom's house. And uh, my stepmom found me and just pretty incoherent. So I don't remember any of this, but uh, took me to the uni. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of people know the uni area <laughs> that was in this podcast. I, w I went through unique detox myself, so I'm yeah. familiar with the place. Yes. Um, well, I wasn't because I'm not from Utah. So I actually woke up, kind of a funny story, actually. I woke up uh, Halloween morning in uni, did not know where I was, and the entire staff of uni were dressed up like <laughs> the cast from The Office. And... I couldn't have been more confused and hungover, and I woke up, you know, my shoelaces were gone, uh, I'm in this weird place, and a guy that looks like Dwight from the office walks into my room and starts talking to me, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was the start of my recovery, I guess. Um, I wouldn't say recovery at that point. That was my start of, I guess, rehabilitation. Um, was in uni for about a little over a week. And I kind of went in phases at uni. At first it was, uh, I was very turned off. Just, I don't need this. Um, you know, I'll do the, I'll do the detox. I'll get out of here and then I'll, be fine. Um, obviously, parents, my mom, my dad, stepdad, stepmom were all talking and um, and encouraging me to do something more. Uh, I said no to uh, residential or anything, you know, where I had to stay somewhere. And within a few days at uni, I kind of realized. You know, I, I had known I had a problem for a while. Um, I just kind of been avoiding it. And there was more of an acceptance where I didn't want to give up drinking or partying. And so I said, you know, this would be a good time to get a little break. I was in between jobs, obviously, in between moving or in between housing because I was moving to California. So I was like, all right, you know, I'll do residential. So I went to uh, Turning Point. Um, that's where I found Turning Point and did the 30-day residential. Um, 
So California was put on hold um, unexpectedly. <laughs> and 30 days residential, then went to their outpatient, the day treatment facility. And then once I was done with that, um, I kind of decided to stick it out in Utah through the winter. And I worked up at the Brighton Ski Resort and um, which probably wasn't the best idea to work at a ski resort for someone freshly sober and in recovery, because if anyone's ever worked in the ski industry, it's quite the, it's almost like a college party itself. <laughs> it's very, uh, um, a lot of partying going on and I quickly relapsed. Um, I think I made it a hundred days uh, sober, but at that point I didn't really consider it a relapse because I, my first time through treatment, I had no intentions of not drinking again. Um, I figured this would be the solution to the problem, a little break, um, and I'd get it under control and I could drink like a normal person. <laughs> and um, it was it was okay. Like I didn't get super bad um, after I started drinking again. Um, and I actually then after the ski season uh, packed up and continued to Los Angeles. Um, one of my best friends that I grew up with in Vermont, uh, he had lived there for about eight years. So um, we I stayed on his couch for the first month while we looked for an apartment. Um, everything was going somewhat to plan. I didn't really have a job. I had a little money saved up. Um, I was doing Postmates delivery. Um, so uh, that was doable. I was able to get by. And then we got an apartment and uh, quickly um, the drinking got really bad pretty quickly. Um, I, I had always used drinking as kind of a tool for my anxiety. Um, I'm a very outgoing person, very social. So drinking was always uh, around with my friends and uh, any sort of gathering or partying revolved around drinking. Um, but I kind of had this hidden anxiety that I didn't want anyone to see. So I would always... I would usually be the life of the party <laughs> to say the least. And, um, uh, drinking always was just kind of that, uh, liquid courage, I guess you, people call it. But, um, shortly in LA, it started out as just a social thing for drinking, but then, um, pretty quickly, uh, I started to get pretty low, um, drinking pretty much waking up until falling asleep just to get by. My anxiety was at a ultra high, um, pretty crippling, um, couldn't do much unless I was, unless I was at least buzzed. And I pretty much sat in that spiral for about eight months in Los Angeles um occasionally going out with my roommate and uh having a good time but it was 
it was pretty rough. I pretty much stuck to myself. Um, and, uh, it was me and the bottle basically. Um, and then my health started getting really bad. Um, you know, I was getting sick constantly. I lost a bunch of weight. Um, didn't eat, wasn't hungry. And as a lot of people that know me well, I am very much a foodie and me not eating or getting excited about food is not me. That's very abnormal. <laughs> so, um, I think it must've been mother's tuition intuition or something, but mom, uh, all of a sudden called me one day and was like, I'm in the airport and I'm on my way. And I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> so, uh, she got, hey, hey, let, me, let me stop you there. Since you brought mom into this, so we want to bring mom into this too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what were you thinking, Stacy, throughout all this, this drinking, this rehab, then going to California and then finally flying out. Why, what were you thinking through this whole thing? Well, I actually went on three rescue missions to LA actually. And, and the, the last one uh, was in March of 2019, right? So wait a minute, I, I mean, I'm still in a COVID bubble. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was just when COVID was really, really, really hitting LA. Um, so it, it wasn't really mother's intuition, which Sean doesn't probably remember, especially that one time he's talking about where I was like, I'm in the airport. Um, I talked to him, uh, at, uh, a couple times that night and he was just out of his mind drunk. I mean, and I, I mean, that, that wasn't intuition <laughs> that was like, Oh God. And I, you know, obviously even, you know, going back to, to Sean's discussion about growing up here in Vermont and all of that, um, what he didn't include was he had pancreatitis, um, here. He was in the hospital for eight days. He had a couple of seizures. So his health started deteriorating a ways before, but, he kind of, he always seemed to spring back and, you know, he would go through a period of not drinking and, you know, and there's always that part of you that doesn't want to go there. So, you know, I, you know, did I, did I know he's continuing to drink? Yes. But did I hope that he had it more under control? Of course. Um, but yeah, in LA, it, it got, it, it's absolutely correct with Sean and, and we talk a lot, but I mean, we are, uh, we contact each other a lot and he, he was calling me a lot too and being uh, very obviously not in a good spot. Um, like you said, he, he was alone there. So we, we talked a lot. I mean, there, I had, I, I was like, I'll stay on the phone with you all night if we have to. So it wasn't, it wasn't a rocket science to figure out that he was in a really, really bad place, the worst place that he'd been. So yeah, I did, go out and then that final time in March, um, you know, he was ready to leave LA anyway. He had already said up up earlier, um, like a month at least earlier that he was gonna go back to rehab in Utah. Um, but he was trying to, insurance and everything else and, and just his alcohol brain couldn't like get it together to get into a detox facility and all of that. And- Well, first it was I wanted to, I was gonna go to rehab in LA. Right. Someone in California. Right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. my insurance wouldn't cover anywhere in right. California. Right. 
Yeah, so the March one was, um, you know, when he, he basically was leaving LA at that point, ready to anyway, and had already gotten into uh, turning point again for residential. We just had to get him to the hospital to detox, which was pretty bizarre because it was right in the height of COVID. It was in Glendale. And they had two, the hospitals has two towers and thankfully, so the East Tower, if I recall, was the ER and other stuff. The West Tower was where they put Sean, which is with ICU and maternity and all that. And he was in his own room. But that was, looking back on it, Sean, I was uh, thinking about it. Like at that point, the nurses, for example, hadn't even started wearing masks. It was was bizarre. And then me, I mean, there was no mask mandate or anything. No, it was, and nobody was doing it at that time. And I, I, this one day, it was a, it's a big, big, big complex. And so a little Vermont lady wandering around, I somehow ended up like going under the tunnel thing and into the ER in the East Tower. And I've ne- I mean, I've never seen that many people in an ER. It was unbelievable. And I'm like, great. I just walked into the ER, but Anyway, um, yeah, we managed to, um, after he detoxed, he flew to, back to uh, Utah. I won't take any more of his story, but I will, yeah, it, it, just back to your question about, or the issue of intuition, it, it, it was very, Sean's pretty open. Um, you know, he wasn't one of those people. I mean, he's an only child, so we had, we always had really uh, good communication and, uh Sometimes he'd share with me things that I didn't necessarily want to be hearing, but, um, you know, so he, he's really good about that. I mean, he has always been good about that. I mean, I know he covered up stuff um, and had kept a lot of the things he's sharing even now kind of to himself, but it, it wasn't, I mean, it, it was pretty, it was very apparent that he was at rock bottom in my, in my view. And interestingly enough, my, um, I'm sitting here in my office. Um, I am an attorney with the public defender's office in uh, Burlington, Vermont. So uh, this is not a new uh, sort of story to me. Um, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, friends go, go. Yeah, <laughs> I, my friends all the time. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I saw so-and-so today. You got a DUI. Um, yeah, so it, but it, it's, and, and, you know, just nowadays, just about anybody knows anybody that has some sort of an addiction. So, but of course, in my world, it's, you know, Vermont is small, as probably everybody knows, um, and there's not a whole lot of horrific crimes. So, you know, 95% of our clients have substance abuse issues, mental health issues, or both, and usually both. Um, we have a very robust treatment court here. It's very, very, very treatment oriented, although compared to what Sean had in Utah, it's, we don't have the, the, we really have nothing close to the amount of um, treatment that you can get, for example, what Sean got. We have nothing like the day treatment kind of thing. It's very, very good program, program but of course you have to want to do it. So take it away, Sean. <laughs> Yeah, so that's probably <laughs> the the key. The key, Sean, and the key for everybody in addiction is I want to get better. And until yeah. you want to get better, you can go any place in the world, and it's not going to help you. So, did you want to get better at that point? So that March, um, that was kind of uh, yes, I wanted to get better. Um, that was kind of a turning point for me. 
uh, no pun intended. <laughs> um, and um, I decided you like I I had already decided I needed to get out of LA first. For that was the first thing. Um, and um, rehab again, turning point was I knew they took my insurance. So that was just an easy one. There were people, staff still there that I knew. Um, so yeah, I, and then I decided to do their 45 days. I, I did, basically I did everything that they could offer me to as long as possible, or at least as long as my insurance would cover it. Cause um, I know a lot of, I saw a lot of people go through that were definitely not ready to leave and uh, you know, insurance just kind of cuts them off, which, I mean, that's a whole different story is with insurance and how kind of evil it can be with people in recovery. But um, lucky enough, I was able, my insurance was, you know, I asked for an extension, they gave me an extension, um, you know, day treatment started after the 45 days, I asked for, extension in day treatment they gave it to me and um and then that was around summertime 2020 so june is when i think i got done with day treatment and then i sort of fell off again um not really sure what's specific um i think i just and i knew at that point that i can't really be a normal drinker like that's just not in the cards for me um so i had accepted that but um i don't know what went through my brain maybe i wanted one last hurrah or something but i relapsed again in june um and i think it was a mixture of uh i got my own apartment is a really nice one bedroom in downtown Salt Lake. So again, <laughs> around all the bars. Know, I didn't I didn't move back to LA, but I, you know, moved to the city of Utah and I lived in a like a high-rise fifth story apartment across the street from City Creek, literally across the street in the uh, the Belvedere building. So I, any bar that is popular was a block away from me. Um, even though I didn't really go to the bars, I just, uh, you know, I think being by myself too soon and just COVID was bad. So and no uh, job, that was key. No job. I was getting unemployment. So I was getting like all this money that basically for nothing. <laughs> so I was, you know, set basically so i was like yeah i can i can drink a little bit and then sure enough two months in and um back in uni uh and um i actually so went back to uni and then um contacted myself uh turning point um the day treatment people and and asked if i could come back to day treatment you know, I figured a little structure is all I need. I'll be all right. And um, so I got out of detox and started day treatment back up again. And 
again, I don't know what, what went on in my brain, but I just, um, anxiety kicked in, um, feeling of being trapped. I think the, the way I was think, I think the thought of not being able to drink for the rest of my life was the thought that was scaring me. And so that thought process of just, I couldn't get over it. Just uh, the fact that I can't do something for the rest of my life. I guess something in my brain um, was like, you know, the rebellious part of my brain was like, no, no. So um, I just left day treatment. Um, so I guess AMA, I guess you could call it. Um, and my therapist there reached out to me. Um, he's a really good guy. And then the, the director for the day treatment, um, he also reached out to me and one day, you know, after not showing up, just no call, no show to day treatment. And he, uh, Chris, he texted me and just, he's like, just text me back that. So I know you're alive. <laughs> and so I was like, Hey, he's like, okay, <laughs> like I can, I can be okay now. So I still had a lot of support, which is great. Um, and then finally, something just clicked. I, uh, had, I guess an epiphany. Um, I was supposed to go on a camping trip with my dad, my uncle, and my little brother. Um, we were supposed to go to Flaming Gorge and I got loaded the night before and I actually called my mom. I was freaking out because I was having a full anxiety attack. Um, I was detoxing and basically I was like, I don't like, I want to go on this camping trip because I don't want to disappoint my dad, but I'm like, I'm going to have to sneak alcohol because there's no way I'm going to be able to spend two nights in Flaming Gorge because I would have just detoxed there and which also would have been dangerous. Right. Um, and so um, after talking to mom and I actually called a friend of mine back in Vermont, um, it was um, I was thinking about a, we were talking about a friend that had passed from drug addiction. Um, and I think it just, I just woke up, called my dad at 6am and told him not to pick me up. And I took an Uber back to uni <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, called actually right when I got to uni, I called, um, the, woman who does the um uh kind of intake for turning point i had her i had her personal cell phone number at that point because they knew me pretty well at turning point um and um i told her i wanted to do a two-week tune-up in residential and then i'll do day treatment and iop again and um and yeah, I was at uni. So that's, this was the first time that I had made the decision more or less on my own that I wanted to go back to residential and I accepted, kind of, I was in more acceptance with what I needed to do. 
Yeah, well, what's great too, sorry to interrupt, Sean, but I think it's real important to at this point say that you had also accepted that you were going to go into sober living, a sober, a sober house. That was, yeah, I was, um, while I was at residential, I actually called my landlord, who's a friend of the family's, and told her, I'm back in rehab, I can't live in the apartment anymore, it's just too much for me, and she was totally understanding so got rid of the apartment before I even left treatment and uh yeah the and then went to sober living um that was the real changer I had never done sober living before um so even though I was you know going to rehab and everything I still didn't want to accept that I wanted you know I could do this on my own after the treatment, um, which is wrong again. So it, it was all about acceptance this this third time around, and yeah, and I'm actually still there. I'm I've been at the same sober living house for uh, since October or no August I think September right? September September. Okay. September. So my sobriety date right now is August fourth. Uh, 2021. Oh, that reminds me. I have to give you another check. Uh, So for every month. Today is 10 months. Today is 10 months. All right. There's a check in the mail. Um, For every month. You shouldn't say that. That's. (laughs) I know. It's. Sean loves I'm just, to I'm just doing it. I'm just sober for the money. I know, I know. It's <laughs> now what it what it is is it's I know, I know. Oh, the other key thing, sorry to back up, um, but you you got a you got a job too, right at the right time. Yeah. You know, that that seemed it sort of seemed like everything fell into place the third time that was a charm. Um it really it it seemed like just the stars aligned at, at that point because you know it it was and, and wow, what a change. Yeah. I, like three times a charm, right? And exactly. that's actually then I have a sober clock on my phone and that's what it's called. <laughs> Literally labeled three times a charm. Yeah. Don and Stacy, we're um, out of time. Like we could talk to you forever. You guys are in. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. I uh, know. It's a pleasure doing that. And I, I love hearing Sean. I mean, we talk obviously but hearing him articulate all of this um and uh and i and i can just say that you know like the last two trips to utah like i did the three rescue missions to la and he just he wasn't he wasn't it was just awful he was a mess and he you know like i saw my ex-husband in october and we saw him again uh, we went out all went out to dinner for sean's birthday and uh we were like Cause we, we remain pretty, pretty good friends. We divorced early on, but we remain friends. And, um, you know, we were like, got our son back and, you know, and he's got a great sense of humor and uh, I just had a blast. Um, we hiked and, uh, I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait to go out in August. Next time I go out, we're going to tube on the Provo river, right? Yeah. That's the plan. Anyway, thank you for having us. Cause this was interesting for me. And, and, and sobriety obviously does well for both of you. You both seem very happy right now. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I got a great girlfriend. I met her at FTR. Rachel knows Amanda. She's amazing. I um, really like her. I got to meet her several weeks ago. I think she's great. Uh, so, yeah, 
definitely inspires me too. She's got almost two years sober. So, um, and just, it's been a big part of who I've surrounded myself with. Um, the community at FTR, um, the friends I've met and kept this time. Um, it's just, yeah, it's been all about connection and um, just staying in touch with family and friends. It's been a huge difference and I haven't been this happy in a very long time. So, yeah. <laughs> that, I, I definitely get that. And it's thrilling to me. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm so proud of him, but uh, it's, it's more than that. It's just, and, and also, you know, in awe of, of what he's done, because it's a, it's a struggle. I mean, I know I see it all the time. Um, and by the way, I partied like crazy in college. I was, I, I went to college in the eighties. And, you know, for whatever reason, because Sean and I have had this discussion before, it's like his body just, I mean, some people can do that and then just not do it to that extent and be okay with the social drinking. And, you know, now I turn 60 and I, you know, I'm lucky if I can handle two glasses of red wine, but boy, I could handle my alcohol before. And, uh, you know, it's just luck of the draw or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm just in awe of um, how, how hard he's worked, but also I'm, I'm just, you know, thrilled at how well his life is going now. It makes my life go better. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, Sean, your perseverance and, and the way you keep standing up, like I'm so proud of you and it's an honor to know you and good for Turning Point. They kept answering your call. Like how long was that? So it's good to know the true messengers out there. Um, I, heard that, I heard that Uni Detox and Turning Point have beds dedicated to, to Sean. Is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The doctor, uh, I forget his name, but he knows me. <laughs> All right, we are out of time. Thank you, guys. Right. This has been Thank the you. first time we've had, we've had a mom and a son on, and I'd say it's been unique to see your both of your perspectives. So yeah. thank you very much. Thanks for being yeah, here. Thanks for asking me. Thank you, Sean, for making this happen, because he contacted me about it. And I was happy to do it. Thank you. And don't forget, you can uh, watch this on YouTube for the video, or you can also listen on iHeart or Spotify or iTunes. Just Google Odyssey House Journals and you'll find Perfect. it. Thank you very okay. much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.